This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. Uh, give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We had a couple of guests scheduled from the Wind Job Center. There was a little bit of a scheduling snafu. Not sure if they'll be able to make it in uh, for part of the show today, but if they can't, we certainly uh, would like to give them a full hour to talk about the Wind Job Center and the services that they offer. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to reschedule that at a future time. However, it's Tuesday morning, and that means we're looking for your personal finance questions. So good morning to you both. Hope that you're doing well this morning. Good morning. morning. So uh, for financial news, first of all, uh, before we jump into things, any any excitement uh, from the weekend? Well, I I would just say, and and everybody's going to think I'm a real financial nerd with this one, uh, but Jackie... I'm I'm the financial nerd, Nancy. You can't take this from me. Don't take this from me. (laughs) Jackie, who's in our office, uh, told me I really needed to listen to this podcast. It's Marketplace, Kai Rizdahl. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a great conversation with Ben Bernanke and Hank uh-huh. Paulson and Timothy Geithner, where they are talking about what happened with the financial crisis and kind of the, the, the inside baseball of all of that and what they're seeing on the landscape today. It's a little over an hour. So um, that's what I did on my walk this morning, which is why I was running a little late. That's interesting because that you know marketplace often <clears throat> has abbreviated um, interviews and then the full interview is on the podcast and that I remember that being on the uh, the, the evening show uh, marketplace by the way six p.m. Uh, every weekday evening on MPB Think Radio the latest financial news of the day so uh, that's our that's our big competitor you can't you can't be giving them promotion like that I mean <laughs> that's on the national scale this is this is local here <clears throat> and of course yesterday was you know. The market bounced the other way, and um, last week the Dow lost over fourteen hundred points in a week. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty brutal week, um, and then suddenly we see a gain back of over six hundred points yesterday. So that brings up this idea of the VIX. Uh, yes. Yeah, so what we're seeing is market volatility when it moves in large swings. We call that volatile. Um, for the past several years, we've had kind of declining volatility the the moves while the market's been going up and i mean it was up you know what like 15 20% last year uh, it was just kind of steady every day a few more point a little bit up maybe a little, tiny bit down but a little bit up so it was pretty it was calm um, but when we have these swings where it's moving 1 2 3% a day which used to be a little more normal than it has been lately it's very volatile. And there is an index which tracks this volatility because a lot of investors, they want to know, they want to measure how volatile this is. And that index is called the VIX, the V-I-X. And uh, for most of last year, that index was down at you know, <coughs> 10. This is kind of an arbitrary number, um, which you can expect that to, you know, so... Think of 10 as low volatility. More normal volatility is maybe 16 to 20. And... In the beginning of February, when we had those large drops, then that index actually almost touched 50, I believe. Um, 
meaning everybody was meaning, going crazy. Meaning that is that is that is a huge move. If if ten is calm and twenty is normal, fifty is people are screaming out of the window. <laughs> um, and so it's it, it's up to it's up to about twenty right now. It was a, a little higher, uh, closer to twenty five or thirty yesterday or in the couple past trading days when it was when it was bouncing around a lot. But but that. That VIX, you sometimes hear them talk about that. It's measuring the volatility. The, the higher the VIX is, then the more volatile it is, and the more uncertain investors are about the near future. And investors typically don't like uncertainty. Um, we mm-hmm. like stability. Yep. We like calm. We like to know what is expected. Mm-hmm. So anything that throws uncertainty into the mix will cause um, swings in the market. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of things that we've had happening over the last few weeks. The first is the announcement of tariffs and the concern about trade wars. And then, of course, overlaid on that is the issues with Facebook and um, these uh, questions about these tech companies and how are they are protecting our privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of tariffs, though. Right. <laughs> I, I was uh, Before we came on the air, I, I will include myself in this, but I think a lot of adults sometimes you think you know what something means when it comes up in the news? Be, oh, yeah, yeah. And then when you start Well, you really, would only know if you're a fifth grader, right? right that's true. <laughs> fifth graders, they know everything according to those books. So tell us, what, what is it? What is a tariff? Well, it's a tax. And it's a tax on goods coming into your country. And the idea is that it is protectionist, meaning we're trying to protect our own producers, our own domestically produced goods. We're trying to give them an advantage. Um, and so we put this extra tax on these goods coming into the country. Now, the problem with that, like any tax or any good that the price is raised on, that gets passed on to us, Kevin, the consumer. So that means ultimately we all are going to be paying higher prices if these stick. But also the interesting thing with tariffs, one, I mean, you can get very specific on them. Right. Uh, we've heard about people talking about we're going to put tariffs on Levi's jeans. Uh, you know, we're getting down to the specifics. I don't know if that is the 501 only or if it includes the whole line, the skinny jeans are included. Not totally sure on that. But but also since you're putting a tax on another country, you know, if, if you say, OK, Mississippi is going to raise their sales tax, then it's just fine. And that's pretty much the end of the story. And everyone's everyone's prices go up 1% or however much. But when you put a tax on another country, that country can turn around and put a tax on you. And so that turns into a trade war. And that's what everyone's worried about is that there'll be these tit-for-tat measures where we'll raise the price on sewn steel and they'll raise the price on our Levi's. And that's and, and, and that's what we talk about when we talk about a trade war and kind of the downsides of a tariff. And, you know, it started ratcheting up last week and they were, you know, throwing bombs at each other. And, um, and these are these are um, not not literal, not literal bombs. bombs. Let's, no. <laughs> let's trading don't, need a, bombs. don't need a war of the world um, scenario here. So while we were going to protect our steel and aluminum, um, then, as Ryder mentioned, they could go up after something totally different. Mm-hmm. Levi's, Harley's, um, what uh, pork, that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. Soybeans right now, that's a big concern. And so then this can just bleed throughout the economy. Um, certainly every country wants to protect their own producers and give their own producers and manufacturers and businesses an advantage. But 
every other country is doing the same thing. And we know China is notorious for uh, doing whatever it takes to protect their uh, producers. And so they haven't always played fair. So certainly we need to hold them to account. But when we start to get into this issue and a trade war starts to rear its head, it's concerned. So yesterday, the bounce back up was because they all stepped back a little bit and started to have some conversations. But obviously, this whole talk about tariffs ties into the VIX because it makes yes. investors nervous. That's right. Yes. that's right. People look at everything that's happening right now and they think, uh, I'm less sure about the future. So I want, you know, I think it can move in a wider range in the future. So I expect more volatility. And that's what the VIX is measuring. Also understand with a tariff, if you start to see those taxes added on, prices going up, then that can lead to inflation. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you're talking about overall inflation. You're talking about the Fed stepping in quicker to raise interest rates. And now you can get into a situation where interest rates are raising high enough that it slows the economy down. Well, also then, I guess, the is the idea that we're becoming more global? Does that kind of we've cloudy been, We've been more thing? global for well, a long time. Um, and so... Um, uh, a tariff would be a move away from that. Yes. Um, because it's, you know, part of the reason, you know, that our economy has grown, all everybody's economy has grown because they opened up to other countries. And so we said, oh, you know, it, it's made good, sh- it, the classic, it's made goods cheaper for us. You know, yeah, we can get uh, this product from Ohio at this cost, but you know what? We can get it from Taiwan at this cost. We can get it from France at this cost. It's opened us up to not only lower costs, but more specializing and all of that. And so a tariff is kind of cutting off some of those things, like saying, okay, yes, I know that um, French wine is better and cheaper, but we're going to uh, promote the Napa Valley, and so we're going to put a tax on French wine so everybody will say, oh, Napa Valley wine is, is, is good enough and it's cheaper. But then also, isn't there a possible downside if, if I have a company, an American company operating in a foreign country that that they impose yeah, tariffs on? Yeah, and so so mm-hmm. here's the issue. Um, what most people don't realize is that a lot of our multinational American companies, Coca-Cola, you know, McDonald's, uh, much of their profits are coming outside of our borders. And so they want access to those customers in um, China in particular because they have four times the number of people that we have here in the U.S. And they have a rising middle class. And so our businesses want to do business there. China has been putting up walls to prevent that. So that's where a lot of the rub has come. Well, that's certainly something that we can follow. I mean, it's so you have it all figured out. Now? I, 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 <laughs> that was good. Tariffs one hundred and one, and you're right. It, it, it harkens us all back to fifth grade when we were all supposed to learn that stuff originally. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. We also have an email to get to. If you do have a personal finance question for us, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're listening to the show but can't get near a phone, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives. And Ryder Taft is Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a question for us, please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And, in fact, we do have an email here. So, Ryder, uh, if you would, read it to us and see what uh, we can talk about it. Uh, well, before we get to this email, I have now been reminded by two of my co-authors that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching my wrist today because I'm getting ready for our book signing this evening at uh, Jackson's finest bookstore, Lemuria. Um, so uh, we t- well, no, we don't want to offend one, anybody uh, else. One of Jackson's finest one. bookstores at five Lemuria. o'clock tonight. So, um, so come join us and meet us. And that was what we talked about. You know, we were on the show f- a few weeks ago. Kind of uh, personal finance, very approachable for anyone just like you here on this show. Um, the email we have uh, very usefully titled "How to Report the Sale of a Non-Covered Security." Last summer, my husband sold 144 shares of common stock he had purchased from his employer as a stock option in 87 or 88. Um, For his income tax, he needs information on the original purchase price. He does not have it. Uh, the, for, the the tax reporting form that he has been given for, from the sale, it's called a 1099, uh, is marked as a non-covered security. Uh, the proceeds of the sale were reported to the IRS, but the cost basis wasn't. And they say, what do we need to do? How do we find the historical data? So uh, there's a couple of things going on here. Whenever you sell a stock, uh, you there you have a purchase price and you have a sale price. And, and the difference there is called a gain, or if you didn't make money, it's called a loss, but you're only taxed on the gain there. You don't, you're not taxed on the whole thing. So if you have $10,000, you buy a stock and it goes up to $12,000, you have a $2,000 gain. You're only taxed on that $2,000. But the problem is up until 2011, brokers weren't required to keep the information of how much it costs, which is the most ridiculous thing. Um, I say this all the time in the office. You can complain about millennials as much as you want, but we're never going to have a problem with our stock cost basis, um, which is just the biggest hassle. Um, so if, if they do not report that cost basis, then all the IRS knows is you sold stock for $10,000. It doesn't know how much you paid for it. And it just assumes the whole thing was a gain because the IRS likes assuming that they're going to get a lot of money. Can't blame them. Um, unfortunately, uh, besides just going back uh, in your own records, going back, it, it says he purchased it as a stock option. So even the just the, the trading price on the day he bought it might not be accurate. Um, but it's close enough, right? You're going to have to do some educated guessing. Uh, potentially, yeah. So, and this is something that we do for clients a lot because, again, this is some this is something that wasn't kept track of until 2011. So we were responsible for keeping up with all this information. 
information. Sometimes people will bring over an account and they'll have just a lot of missing information. And we will go back and piece it together. So things you can look at, um, if it was a publicly traded company at the time, you can go back and look and see what it was trading at um, on that day or around the time that he bought it. And a good resource for that is actually Yahoo Finance. It is one of the best free resources for financial information. It's just finance.yahoo.com. You can search for the stock. You can go into the historical data and find that date. Um, he may have some records, you know, just if you if you keep some people do keep old statements for forever and you can put it together. Then it may even be on an old statement. An old statement may have the purchase date, even if it doesn't have the purchase price. It may have the purchase date. Um, but well, but you also have to watch out for splits because this was mm-hmm. the 80s. Right. So splits and mergers mm-hmm. and spinoffs and all of that mm-hmm. uh, has to be tracked back. So it can be pretty uh, burdensome yeah. to get that information. So, I mean, this was from 30 years ago. Uh, you know, hopefully the stock has done well. And and that 144 and that 144 shares may have a very low basis at this point. I mean, it, it may have been next to nothing in today's dollars. So unfortunately, you know, there's nothing that, you know, I can. Yeah, there's no, I have well, I don't have the answer for you. Yeah, but you, you have to do your you best. You have guessing, to piece it together and um, hopefully have some um, research behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, be conservative and don't uh, be too greedy in in the number mm-hmm. that you put down, and then hope you don't get audited. Yeah, um, and and it, this is this is a case where any sort of record you have relating to this save it um, because if you're you know, piecing together an idea write down what you did um, and we do this all the time we piece together someone's cost basis we need to write down what we did so when we come back and look at it maybe the next year then we know exactly what we did and, and, and how we're justifying that also, I would hope if you were audited by the IRS, if you had some sort of paper trail of the, I came upon this figure by this, this, mm-hmm. this, it's better than just saying, well, I just exactly. pulled it yeah, out of the Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, don't oh. pull a number out of the hat. Okay. Uh, it's uh, an open topic day. We're looking for your personal finance questions. The phone lines are open, so give us a call if you have a question. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email the show money at mpbonline.org. Uh, in the meantime, we can talk about some things. Uh, our producer, Liz Gill, found something on msn.com, their money section, which I enjoy perusing through. I think it's always got a lot of interesting things and a lot of lists. Today, we're going to go through some things. The, type, the topic is 40 ways to save 40% of your paycheck. And that's, that's a lot. That's it. That Start is. with 1%, then go to 2%. <laughs> Then go to 3%. Number one is to use a money tracking app. Uh, It mentions specifically Mint, um, which I have. Um, the, the only thing that to me is a little bit confusing about Mint is that you, um, it it puts your checking and your savings account sort of in one register, as it were. And so mm-hmm. uh, I was a little bit alarmed when I was scrolling through and I, I saw these amounts and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And then I realized it was from the checking. You account. had too uh, much. Those, you had too much money. I Kevin? had too much money. Is that, yes. is that, yeah. And, and we've talked about Mint before and somebody has called in to, you know, especially now in light of all of the, the Facebook data sharing. Keep in mind what these money tracking apps do. They have access to all of your financial transaction data. Um, They're, generally speaking, fairly secure. Um, Mint is owned by Intuit. It's a a very large company. They they have 
you know, they, they, they are serious about their security. They have a lot of other related products. Part of the way they make money is by trying to upsell you to other related products like their tax prep software. But another way they make money is by kind of selling your profile to other people. So what I notice in my mind, I get, you know, these personalized offers. And it's because it's like, oh, we see you ate out three times this week. You know, maybe you want a coupon to this restaurant or something like that. So um, they do have a lot of pretty intimate data about you. And so just just be aware of what you're sharing. And um, I have found them immensely useful. But just for anyone who, who is security conscious, privacy conscious, just be aware of of that information out there. Uh, yeah, I think that um, I know that um, I have meant to, and every once in a while it does have like a, a pie graph of, you know, wh- how you spent your money in the last week or something. And then if there's an unusual transaction, if you deposit or withdraw a large amount of money, it'll say, hey, you know, this was a big transaction. Make, you know, so it, it, it does have some safeguards in there. And I think it does. It is useful for, for helping you uh, track your, your spending. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of calls on the line. So let's go to the phones. We start with Jesse in Ridgeland. Good morning, Jesse. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Go ahead. Um, in the past, I've had several family members who have invested in the uh, precious metals market, and it's held an interest to me for a while, and, but I'm not really sure how to get involved in the precious metals market. And I was wanting some advice on how to do that and what might be the uh, best option for precious metals with the way the market's looking right now. Well, um, generally, people are talking about, uh, when they say precious metals, uh, gold or silver. Uh, Gold tends to be a fear play. And uh, if you look at at gold over a long stretch of time, it matches inflation. Um, So you're not going to make much more than inflation over a long stretch of time. And and particularly with inflation, it matches inflation shocks pretty well. If inflation is way higher than normal, then people will kind of rush to gold at that point. Right. But... But it 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 occurs that uh, or excuse me, it uh, jumps up when there is a lot of uncertainty. So that's what we were talking about before. And so you'll see that it tracks that um, it, you'll see gold go up uh, when we're in recession. All of those things. You can buy precious metals two different ways. You can buy the actual gold bars or silver coins. I would not recommend doing that. <laughs> it's very illiquid. Um, when you want to cash out, you have to find a deal. They're going to take a big discount on it. Another way to do it is through the futures market. And so you can buy a fund or a future that um, tracks one of those metals, and that's an easier way to do it. Uh, so so probably the easiest way to buy gold or silver, there are uh, extremes traded funds which track the price of uh, gold or silver. Uh, so with most exchange traded funds, you know, we talk about them a lot. It's a, it's a mutual fund of sorts, which is a box full of stocks. Um, there are parts of companies. With the actual gold and silver ones, they actually have it is a box loaded up with gold. Um, yeah, but you're not in charge you're of not cashing in tra- out. Right. You're not in charge of it. You don't have to like turn the lights off at night. You don't have to pay the security guard. Someone is doing that for you. And, and especially with... Um, there's two very large gold ones. I, I think the uh, the lower cost one is IAU is the symbol, which is I 
because it's an iShares, and then AU, the symbol for gold, uh, on the periodic table. But um, those, they, they're they fairly low-cost way and very easily accessible just through your brokerage account. You can hold it in, um, I would suggest holding it in a taxable account, not, not an IRA account, because there can be some weird tax implications, I think, with that. But uh, check with your CPA. Okay. All right. And that's all I need. I appreciate it. Sure thing. All right. Thanks Thanks, for calling. Jesse, let's uh, stay on the phones. Sherman is calling in from one of my favorite cities in Florida, (laughs) Pensacola. Sherman, are you listening to us from Pensacola? No, I'm actually driving and uh, was scanning through the radio stations. I'm on my way to Baton Rouge and picked you guys up right around uh, Mobile, Alabama. Ah, Very good. What's your question for us? Well, my original question had to do with capital gains and taxes, but the last caller's question kind of got me interested. So back around 07, 08, when the financial crisis happened, I kept looking at gold and thinking that gold was going to pop, which it eventually did, going mm-hmm. from like $600 a troy ounce up to 1200 dollars mm-hmm. My question is, why did silver not follow that same trajectory path? And I ask this because I invested heavily into some silver ETFs when gold shot up, even some leveraged funds. And that trend never followed. And I did my research, did my history, and historically, silver and gold always followed the same path with the same spread between it. But when gold really jumped up, 08, 09, 010, silver did not follow, and I want to know why. Okay, so I do, I, I know what you're talking about. I remember that being a, a big thing at the time. Uh, so historically, you know, silver has been maybe like 140th the price of gold. I, I don't quite remember the right. ratio. So, yes, they would track fairly well together. Uh, one thing, so gold's main use uh, in kind of the non-investing world is is like making jewelry. Uh, silver's main if silver is very useful in a lot of other industrial products. It's used in a lot of chemicals. It's used in a lot of uh, chemical processes. It's used in making a lot of different things. Um, so partly, I think industrial demand for silver was lower in the financial crisis just because economic activity slowed down. So with that being a very large use, um, you know that. That would be a reduced demand for it and kind of lower lower price. Um, I'm just thinking there are more ads for gold. And there are probably you know? more ads for I gold. I mean, you saw them all over television. Um, people were pushing this idea of buy gold, buy gold, mm-hmm. buy gold. We got a lot of questions about gold. Mm-hmm. And so it's back to the old supply and demand. And because there was just this frantic push to gold to, had a better marketing team. I think you're right. So I well, and there were some well, there, I know there's some other reasons, but that's that's a couple of things going on if you think about the supply and demand of those two things. Well, I guess my overall thing, though, is here we are 10 years later. Wouldn't you think that ratio would have normalized, and yet it hasn't? Uh, I mean, that's a great question. That's a great question. We don't know. Maybe we'll, get, maybe we'll try to get a gold bug on, <laughs> we don't know. Uh, on next. So did you have a question no about doubt. capital gains? Well, yeah, so my original question about capital gains was, I remember years and years ago, back going to college, um, capital gains were viewed as 30% for short-term being held less than a year, and then 15% long-term being held over a year. Mm-hmm. But if memory serves me right, aren't capital gains now just viewed as income? So basically, no. it gets taxed. No, 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 no. Sh- uh, uh, short term is essentially income. Right. So anything that you sell less than a year, that you've had ownership of less than a year, is going mm-hmm. to be subject to tax based on your income tax rate.
so whatever that is. So that's right there. But long term, long term uh, also depends on your income, but it's going to be lower than your income that gets preferential tax treatment. It can be zero. If your income is lower, 15%, 20%, and if you're th- at the upper end, around 24% is the top rate right now. So certainly less than your income tax rate. Also bear in mind, you're only going to pay tax on capital gains that occur in taxable accounts. So if it happens in a retirement account, which is where a lot of people have their stock holdings, you don't have to worry about it. Gotcha. All right. Sherman, thanks for the call. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. I'll be uh, back down in Pensacola in a couple weeks and be doing the dolphin cruise this time down Ooh. there. So that uh, should be very exciting. Hopefully we will see some dolphins in the dolphin cruise. <laughs> uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some open phone lines ready for your personal finance question. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can also email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter-Janderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. It's an open topic day, so we're looking for your personal finance questions. We've got some open phone lines. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can also send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So, Ryder, you got a text message asking us to talk about the difference between a savings account and a money market account. Uh, yes. So with both of these, we're talking about a place to keep your cash and what is, you know, your concerns are, you know, how safe is it? What's the interest rate? How easy it is to access? Um, actually, this this distinction has gotten a little more complicated and blurry since the uh, financial crisis. Uh, but traditionally, a money market has been uh, traditionally, money market has been more like a fund um, that a company will, you know, if they're already managing your mutual funds, they'll also say, hey, and we have this fund which will manage your cash. And that has been, you know, they'll say, okay, it's worth a dollar and we just pay you out the interest uh, whenever we earn it. And they just invest in very short-term liquid bonds. So you would expect as interest rates fluctuate, that interest rate you earn would fluctuate. Um, it would kind of track that market a little better than a savings account. 
A savings account is just a product offered by a bank um, where you can stick your money in. They say, we're going to give you 1% interest. <laughs> just kidding. They're not giving 1% interest right now. Where? Where? I mean, that would be great. I'm getting um, point nine. Yeah. Um, they're typically less responsive to increases in the uh, in interest rates, um, but banks are still happy to cut your interest rates if interest rates are going down. Um, so all of that being said... That distinction is not as clear now. A lot of banks offer accounts that they call a money market account. And what you need to look for, if this is your emergency savings, what you need to look for is, firstly, is this FDIC insured? If it's FDIC insured, you get the, the last dollar amount you see in there before your bank disappears is the dollar amount you get back from the FDIC uh, when they sort that out. Um, understand that, that, that being said, that doesn't happen very often. Don't don't be afraid of banks. Um, understand that, as a writer mentioned, with the financial crisis of 2008, there was uh, a recognition that a lot of us are keeping our cash mm-hmm. in money market accounts. Mm-hmm. And they were not protected by FDIC insurance at that time. They extended that protection to money markets just to keep people mm-hmm. from uh, right. running on those institutions and taking our money out. Yeah, so the money markets, you know, again, you look to see if it has some sort of protection, and and there are there are now some more regulations giving some protections to money markets, um, but the money market account should give you a more a higher interest rate typically, and also it'll rise should rise a little faster as interest rates go up. Um, I have a savings account that's paying 1.46%. That's it's nonsense, It's going to Kevin. be a credit union, is it not? It's uh, No. I, I actually took my money out of the credit union. I don't believe you. <laughs> it's a, well, you've got a special deal going on there. Uh, well, what's, what's the company? What's the company? <laughs> we just Share. don't believe him. We don't believe him. <laughs> it's American Express. Oh, okay. I have heard of that. So, one, yes. so there, and, it's and called that's the high, high yield, yield savings account. Savings account. So, and that's a good point. Um, that's probably you had to open that up online. Yes. So, a lot of online banks are offering much better rates than a brick and mortar bank, just because they don't have the expenses of running a store every day, and you can you can often find a higher interest rate. They often have a lot of teaser rates, so. I'll would be careful uh, to make sure that that's you know not going to go away in six months and you're just going to have to go find another one because banks know they're willing to put out these high teaser rates because they know you don't want to change anything once you've got it set up and they want you to get your bill paid bills paid out of that account they want your check deposit in there I know someone who she has been with a uh, brick and mortar bank that she hates and she's been with them for years but she's just like oh well I mean I have this one expense that comes out of that that I just I just can't be bothered to change that to another bank even though it's painless to do. Well, I'll, I'll say the same thing. I mean, the bank I'm with, I have direct deposit. I've got my my online banking set up with pays and all that sort of thing. And so it would be a little bit of a hassle to, to change. And that is some, I'll admit that that is, uh, goes into my thinking. Um, but this, I, I, I'll give credit to Nancy. Uh, she gave me an idea. <clears throat> I'm uh, paying off a credit card debt that has 0% interest. So Nancy suggested instead of paying off each month that you put your money in a savings account. Right. And so what I'm 
doing is I, instead of making a monthly payment, well, I'm paying the minimum, so I don't get right. behind. Good, pay that minimum. But uh, what else? The, whatever I would have paid over the minimum, I'm paying into this high interest savings account. And you just have to keep your hands off of it, exactly, so that when your zero percent runs out, you can take that money out of there and in a lump sum clear it out. Exactly, and in the meantime, I'm earning a little bit of interest. So that was a great suggestion, and I'm, I'm well on my way to doing that. And you're right; the 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 the, the only hard part about is something comes up that needs to be not touched. Exactly. So, Keeping your hands off. Because I will. I did find out with another, um, um, when I had done a balance transfer, <clears throat> I, I had paid off the balance on this credit card, and there was a little bit of money left. And I, I said, well, I thought I had paid this off. And it turns out it was um, it, it, actually, it was, it was a cash advance. And I said, well, I don't remember making that. And they said, if you do a balance transfer and you do not pay it off in the time, then the interest was, was charged as a cash advance. Oh, wow. So, oh, um, wow. Yeah, and that's and, a much um, higher interest rate. That's how they get you. Understand that uh, a balance transfer, they they talk you into, we're going to have 0% interest for 6 months, 12 months, 18 months. But there is a balance transfer fee, right. usually around 3%. Yes. Uh, but you're right, though. But I, And I will say, I you know, I took advantage of this, but I'm, I have to be very uh, diligent about it because, as I found out earlier, uh, if you don't pay it off in time, you, a lot of times... Times, you know, th- there's a there's a huge interest charge that you're going to get socked with. So uh, it's a way to uh, it's a discipline thing, and I'm slowly learning. You know, I, I used to be really irresponsible with personal finance, but partly because of this uh, job, I, I've become a little bit better. So this is this is a true test for me, uh, and so far so good. I will say, proud of myself here. And this might not seem much to some other people, <clears throat> but I have not made a single credit card purchase in now like three months. Oh, I'm impressed. So, yes. I'm impressed. Small steps, small steps, that's for sure. Hey, we've got some open phone lines. If you have a personal finance question, instead of we can blather on about my personal finance, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email the show money at mpbonline.org. Also, we've been talking about a couple of things, uh, a list from MSN Money about ways to save 40% of your paycheck. Uh, number two on the list was to find a savings buddy. And I know when you're doing exercise, walking or running or going to the gym, what have you, a lot of times it's a good idea to have someone who's there with you to kind of keep you on track. If you're, you know, if you don't feel like going to the gym or on your walk, if you've got that person that's going to go with you, sometimes you're encouraged to kind of stay on track. And I guess in terms of savings, uh, if you find someone that maybe is saving for a similar goal or something, uh, you can and help each other, you know, stay on on track. Well, it's just being accountable. And Mm -hmm. that's what we often do for people we work with is we hold them accountable. And Mm -hmm. we say, here are your savings goals. And when they come back through, we can look at it and see if they met those goals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, having goals, you know, your goal holds you accountable. But having an actual human being who at the end of the day or end of the week, you can say, oh, I managed to save 10 bucks. And, you know, they're happy for you and they're proud for you. And that that motivates you to do some more. Uh, Number three on this list is something that we have talked about quite frequently on the show. But that is to review your spending and find a couple of expenses each month that you can do without. Maybe a lot of folks are cutting the cord on cable or, uh, you know, uh, not eating out as much. There are a lot of, I think, ones that are easy. Let's don't go too far now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's very, I mean, that's classic, you know, oh, you know, say, you know, cut one Starbucks out a week and you'll save 20, you know, that's, yes, it's a way to save a few dollars here and there. Um, But I think, you know, and, and that looking back at what you've 
spent money on. It's, it's a very useful exercise to understand where your money's been going. But you can't do that without looking at your expenses. And Absolutely. so that's why, again, we often talk about, you know, every couple of months, maybe three, four times a year, review what you're spending or even on a monthly basis. Look back, say, where is that money going? And then identify those places where you think you can save. Well, Kevin, and you want to um, you want to make sure you're getting value for your dollars. And that can vary by person. So when you said eating out, and I bristled a little bit at that, because that's a great pleasure at this point. And so if it's important for you to uh, participate in a particular activity, then it's worth it to put your money there. Uh, that's what you're working for. But what you're trying to do is look for places where you're spending money where you don't get a lot of value. You don't get value from a credit card that you just are seeing tons of interest on. You don't get value from a speeding ticket. Oh my gosh, that's money out the window. Um, um, and there, you don't get value from an item you purchased and you go back and it's still sitting on the shelf with the tags on, you know? <laughs> In the box. Too, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's take one final break this hour. We do have some open phone lines. Still time for you to call in with a personal finance question today. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number, one 672 Back with more of the show after this. Information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter-Janderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Uh, we've got some phone calls lining up, but we also do have an email to get to. So uh, what does uh, that one say, Nancy? Well, this is about Medicare enrollment. So this is from a listener who says, my husband is 65 years of age this year, but is choosing to continue working. A lot of people are. He's wondering if there's any paperwork with Medicare to acknowledge he is in applying for retirement, and he hopes to be employed for three more years. Know that you need to go ahead and file for Medicare when you hit 65. I think it is it a five-month window? Is that right? Two I, months I, before? I think you have two or three months Before your side. birthday, two months after, and the month of your birth. Um, in some cases, if you continue working, that Medicare will become then your primary health insurance, and your employer insurance will be your supplement, because some employers require that. But... But 
But if nothing else, you still have to file a form. Even mm-hmm. if you say, I have coverage, they will say, okay, we acknowledge that. Yep. If you don't go ahead and file for Medicare around that window, if you miss that window, you're going to have a penalty on your Medicare bill that will be forever. All right. Yep. Let's get to these final phone calls before the show ends. We start in Starkville with William. Good morning, William. You're on the air. Uh, all right. Let me uh, put that on hold. No. Well, all right. Hi, William. Are you with us? Uh, I think so. Yeah. All, all right. right. Go ahead. All right. Um, just calling. Uh, my wife and I, we we have a good bit of, de- a good bit of debt. Most of it's credit card debt. Uh, we've made the mistake of paying medical bills using the credit cards, and it just seems like every time we pay down a little bit, we get another medical bill, and we're just right back up. We're just, you know, right at the our brink. Is hmm. debt consolidation any of those services or any of them legitimate enough that we could consider that, or should I just try to avoid those and pursue a different route? Boy, this is tough because there are some good ones out there, but there are a lot of shysters. So I think um, if your situation is serious enough, you need to talk with a consumer credit counselor who can sit down and look at all of your bills and help you with an approach. Consolidation might help. Um, Having someone in your corner who can help you negotiate for some lower fees could help, but you need a plan and you need someone, as we said earlier, to hold you accountable on sticking to that plan. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, William. Let's move next. We've got Linda in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Linda. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I have credit cards. I have about 12 credit cards. Wow. And I've wanted, and I've wanted to close uh, some of the accounts, but I understand it can it can uh, mess with your credit rating uh, score, and I sure didn't want to have that happen. But uh, And also, how to pick the right credit card to use. Uh, okay, so closing an account does not have – it's not a very big impact on your score. Um, having too many accounts is probably a bigger impact on your score. Um, when you – you know, the, the thing that people think, okay, you know, I've had this card for, you know, 10 years, so it's a very long account, and they like to see accounts I've had for a long time because if you've been paying someone reliably for 10 years, you must be a great credit. And if you close that, oh, my gosh, does that go away? It does not go away immediately. Immediately, That record that you paid that card for 10 years, that will stay on your credit report for actually a very long time. Um, So don't be worried about closing those. Now, typically, I would say, you know, keep the keep the long ones you've had for longer open. uh, And And how many and how many credit cards should you have? Well, (laughs) um, do you have a business? No. Okay. If you don't have a business, then I would say to you one. Really? Yes, ma'am. And here's what you need to do. You need to look at one, look at all the benefits of all your credit cards. Most of them are probably going to be just. I, I don't know what they are, but if they're store cards, you know, maybe they have a great benefit for shopping at that store, no, but they're pretty, I have a bunch of the, yeah, I have a bunch of those little ones. Those are tradition. Those are typically not very good for a general right. use credit card. We're talking Amazon uh, Visa, Amazon Chase, and uh, American Express. Right. So what you need to look at is find the one with the best kind of general benefits. Uh, you know, look at what you spend money on. Um, you know, is your biggest expenditure... 
uh, gas and food is your biggest expenditure going out, or if you don't really have anything that's at one particular large expenditure every month, just get something that's going to pay you one or two percent cash back, um, and and just and just stick with that and, and close everything else. Um, because a, a lot of the a lot of ones issued by a specific retailer, it's great for that retailer, um, but it's not necessarily good for you, your budget, or your credit score. Um, so just right. focus on one with some general benefits, and uh, that's that's about all you need. All right. Okay, thank you. All right, Linda, thanks for the call. And, you know, one other thing that we've talked about, just the stress of managing 12 credit cards. Oh, gets yeah, to you. and, and you, so, you lose track of how oh, much yeah. you've accumulated when you have bits and pieces out there. Right. So it's often helpful just to bring it all down to one main card. And, um, again, the only reason I see for maintaining others is if there's a special benefit Mm -hmm. attached to one. Or for us, we keep uh, business credit cards. Mm -hmm. And so we want to keep that separate from our personal expenditures. Yeah. So for myself, I have two cards that I use. One is gasoline and groceries. It gives great cash back on. And then the other one gives great cash back on um, restaurants and, and travel and just kind of is also a good general card. Okay. Let's get one last question in. It's Lori, who's on the road today. Good morning, Lori. Hi. Um, I have a question about purchasing gasoline. Um, we've been traveling in our motorhome for about 15 years, and I've noticed this year in particular, almost every gas station we go to charges you more if you use your credit card to pay for the gas. Um, we have a credit card we use, which gives us a, a rebate on our gasoline, which, in effect, that's pretty much canceling it out. Mm-hmm. Is that the wave of the future? Is that going to happen? Do you understand why that's happening? Yeah, I've seen that a lot. I've seen that particularly at truck stops. I don't usually see that. At, and that may be more frequent in other areas of the country. That may be more uh-huh. common. But I, I typically see that at truck stops and places on the interstate. Um I'm not. I think uh, one of the reasons is credit cards typically charge gas stations the most uh, in uh-huh. transaction fees, just because uh, gas stations are a place where credit card uh, fraud, uh, stolen credit cards are often. That's the first place you go. It, look, if you steal somebody's car and credit card, what are you going to do? You're going to go put gas in it so you can get away. Right. Um, right. That's the most frequent place where that happens. So, so gas stations they do have a little bit more incentive than other places. To to take cash, uh, but again, I've usually only seen that at um, at, at bigger ones. Truck so you stops, think maybe so. it's because of uh, like you with an RV that uh, yeah. you're you're purchasing a, a larger amount than I would zipping mm-hmm. through with my economy car, right? And so we're yeah, that makes a big difference. More on gas. Yeah, and yeah. understand that uh, for those convenience stores, the margins on gasoline are very very small. They make their well, money on what we buy in the store. Sure. All right. This morning, though, we happened to purchase our gasoline at a Walmart, and they charge us more for credit cards. Wow. Which is the first time I've seen that. Lori, sorry, we're out of time. Need to go. Thanks uh, for the call. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener is Java Chapman. So for Nancy Lotrich-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's In Legal Terms. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks, only on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.